0: God bless you all. It's good uh, to see all of you here present in the house of the Lord. Today, uh, I had a procedure recently this week, so uh, I feel okay, but I think it's just better that I sit down today and rest. um, And I do believe that the Lord has a word for all of you, so I I, want to make sure that you guys hear the word of the Lord today. Um, We're so thankful that you guys were able to connect and thankful that we were able to worship together. Uh, today we will be reading from 1 Peter 15 to 16, 1 Peter 15 to 16, and after that then we'll go to 1 Peter 2, 11 to 12, and uh, it's going to be a wonderful passage, and it goes along with what we've been seeing about, about how God is unique and there's no one like him. Uh, in other words, that God is holy So 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. Verse 16. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And then uh, chapter 2, verse 11 Chapter 2, verse 11 to 12, it says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Let's all pray. Heavenly Father, we have focused on your holiness, on how there's no one like you, on how you are different than anybody, than anything. You're so good. Your goodness is beyond our comprehension. Your goodness is so good that there's no way that we can't believe. You're so holy. You're so unique. And Lord, as we have read today, we are to also be unique and holy like you are. Be holy because I am holy. That is what the Bible says. And Lord, let us understand that more today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we are going to talk about holiness what what do you think about when you hear the word holiness what what comes to your mind maybe maybe you, you might cringe a little bit because this word might bring bad memories maybe it reminds you of a time when it felt that you had to act different just for the sake of being different Maybe you get sad when you hear the word holiness because, because you, you remember hearing how God wants you to be holy. And holiness meant that you had to dress in a certain way, that your hair had to be a certain way. That, and you would try and try and you would fail. So you would get sad since you never achieved that level of holiness that others appeared to achieve. Maybe you have no idea what holiness is. You hear it used in church in songs, but you have no idea of where it comes from or what it means. The passage that we started off with tells us two things. We are supposed to be holy, and I included the other verse in chapter 2 to reveal how that looked like for the audience of Peter. But the second point is be holy for all. I am holy. Who is the I God is? Peter's quoting a biblical idea. And for right now, don't don't connect holiness with bad experiences. Connect holiness to who God is. God is holy. The prophet Isaiah saw the angels in a temple, and he saw them praising the Lord, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. When God revealed himself to Moses through the burning bush, God told Moses to take off his shoes because the ground where he was standing was holy ground. God was in the place, and therefore the ground became holy. God Is holy. The Bible makes that clear. But what does this word holy even mean? First time we find the word holy in our English Bibles is in Genesis 2 3. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. The seventh day was a holy day because God rested on that day. Just like holidays, you you could see that the word holy isn't holidays. Holy days or holidays are different from regular days. Back in Genesis 1, the seventh day was different. It was a holy day. Because if we look at the other days, God did things. On day one, light. Day two, seas. Day three, land. Day four, stars. Day five, sky and sea creatures. Day six, land creatures and humans. Day seven, rest. So as you could see, on day seven, he rested. He didn't make anything. He didn't do anything. The seventh day stands out. And that's why God calls the seventh day holy. The word holy conveys this idea of standing out, of being different from all the rest. And that's why we say that God is holy. The Hebrew word for holy, and I'll write it up here, is this word called kodesh. Okay, kodesh. I think there's a period right there. (laughs) Or a dot. Kodesh. Kodesh. That's a Hebrew word for um, holy. And in the standard Hebrew lexicon, in the dictionary, it means to be set apart, to be consecrated. But holiness is more than just that. Like holiness doesn't just mean to stand out. Sometimes people or things could stand out in a bad way. Those things are not holy. And if we just say that holiness is just being set apart or being different, we could find problems when we are told to be holy. Like the passage we read is telling us to be holy. Amen to that. But, but does that mean that all we have to do is be different? Is that all we have to do, just be different? I think, of, I think we could be different in many ways, unique in many ways. In the library, I would be holy, if we have this definition, just this definition, by talking when everyone is quiet. Is that what holiness is? I'm talking when everybody's quiet? Or say I'm being different by being annoying, when no one else is being annoying. Is that holiness? No, of course not. So holiness is more than just being set apart, than just being different, than just standing out. One of my seminary professors recently pointed out that there is this sense that holiness means dedicated to. In the New Testament, the Greek word for holiness is agios, agios. Agios. And this Greek word, Agios in the lexicon, it means this: being dedicated or consecrated to the service of God, devout, godly, dedicated. Whatever is holy, yes, it's different in a common world. It stands apart, but more than that, it's dedicated to God. If your speech is holy, yes, it's different, but it's primarily dedicated to God. If your attire is holy, then it's also dedicated to God. If your body is holy, then it's dedicated to God. If your life is holy, then it's dedicated to God. Earlier we saw in Genesis that the seventh day was holy. Therefore, that was a day that was explicitly dedicated to God. With this idea that holiness means dedication, we might see this phrase, be holy because I am holy, in a new light. My professor interpreted it this way, and I I think it fits. So he said, be holy for I am holy means, and hopefully I have space for this, be dedicated to me because i am dedicated to you be dedicated to me be holy be dedicated to me because i am dedicated to you god was so dedicated to you that he sent his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life He is so committed to you that he did not send his son into this world to condemn, but to save you. God is so dedicated to you that if you believe in him, you are saved from darkness and enter the light. God is holy. God is dedicated to you. So will you be dedicated to him? God is holy, so will you be holy? I like reading books from missionaries. They it really shows us a different perspective on life. Uh, missionaries go to different cultures with people who think differently, and they see something that we really don't see in our culture. They see things that we're not used to. A missionary traveled to Asia. She she had an interesting story. She developed a friendship with. Her next door neighbor, Asmin, uh, they lived in a, an apartment complex, and in that culture, it was common for the girls to gather on the floor level in their building. They, they sat on kitchen rugs or scattered on cushions, and they would drink tea, gossip, and get marital advice. This missionary and Asmin, the local, their relationship intensified because of a tragic event. The missionary had collapsed in front of her neighbor's house. The missionary, she had uh, health problems for several years, but fortunately, Asmin worked as a nurse and took her to urgent care. The missionary came out healthy and she was thankful for Asmin. Over the years, their friendship grew and their families became closer. They did fun activities together. On Muslim holidays, the missionary family would visit Asmin. Asmin, she was a Muslim, the, the local of Asia, and Islam is very prominent in Central Asia. And as they were spending together, uh, spending time together, the missionary would look for ways to speak to Asmin about her faith in Christ. The missionary would reason about her faith. She also gave Asmin um, a copy of the Bible in her language. And for a while, Asmin even began to read it. One December, Asmin went to the missionary family to observe the family's Christmas tradition. She took pictures of the decoration. She was fascinated and she wanted to show her fo- photographs around the hospital to her workers. The missionary kind of felt like she was made a spectacle. Like it, it, she only came to get pictures that she just thought that she was a spectacle. Well, one day, the missionary had to go to the hospital for some tests. Asmin was there, she was working as a nurse, and Asmin invited the missionary to the break room. In the small room, there were nurses huddled around an old television smoking cigarettes. The nurses were on break, they were there for respite from their rounds. Asmin introduced the missionary as her American neighbor, friend, and a Christian. And then Asmund told her friend something I find so interesting. She said that her missionary friend was not the kind of Christian you think. So these people from Asia had an idea of Christians. But it turns out that the missionary wasn't the typical Christian that they had in mind. And then Asmund explained how the missionary and her family was honorable and kind. How they dressed modestly. How the missionary's husband was faithful. How they were clean and considerate. The natives thought that the missionary and her family were Christian. But, not therefore, but in spite of their Christianese or Christian, they were people of good character. They were people they could trust. My friends, there there is a big difference from calling yourself a Christian and being a Christian. So many people who call themselves Christians are not devoted or dedicated to God. They don't live out Christian lives. And what happens? These people, these Christians, make others feel like Christians are rude, disrespectful, careless, heartless, mean, violent, hateful, sexually immoral, undisciplined, all because there are these Christians who falsely represent God. That that is what happened with Asmund's culture. That's why they thought of Christians not in a positive light, but in a negative light. But then she met a missionary who didn't just call herself a Christian, but was actually a Christian. God doesn't call people to just put a label over them. He didn't call the Israelites out just so they could bear the name Israel. No, he, he, he doesn't just call us out so we could just put the label Christian over ourselves. No, he calls us out so we could live a different type of life so that we could be holy so that we could live a life that is dedicated to God, a life that is a visible demonstration of his holiness, so that we could be a shining light in a dark world, so we could be an assembly of priests in God's kingdom, so that we could mediate God's presence here on earth and radiate his glory, so that we could be like our King Jesus and show this unconditional type of, of love, so that we could be who he is, holy, as God is holy. Today's mantra is, be who you are. You do you. I told Elida one time when she was going to the gym, and she was asking me, you know, what she what should do. And I was like, you do you, boo. You know, you do you. <laughs> and this is because of the rise of, of self-help talk shows, books, and Disney movies. And, and the main idea with the mantra is that we remove the chains of what others think we should do or should be. We We don't strive to fulfill the expectations of others or their desires. We don't Let them dictate who we are or what we do with our lives. You do you. Fulfillment and lasting happiness is only for those who follow their own path. It's only for those who are true to themselves. And while the world does stretch this truth at times and distorts it, the the idea of you being you is actually biblical. In the beginning, we were designed... To represent God on this earth. We were made in his image. That is us. The true us. When we become a Christian, when we join the kingdom, when we are restored and redeemed, we become us. We become more human. Who we are supposed to be. And we don't care about the world's expectations. We are who God has made us to be, a new creation in Christ. We have a new nature, and this new nature wants to follow who God is. And therefore, we are to be holy as he is holy. God is light. God is holy and when we have been born again we have a desire to follow Christ when we have the spirit of God within us god has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son now this isn't a physical relocation it's not like moving from texas to california this changes this changes positional and changes our nature god transferred us. And if you have been transferred, you will want to shine God's light to the world through your deeds. You will, you will fail, but you will strive. You want to preach the gospel. You want to open the eyes of the blind so that they too might turn from darkness to light. Holiness is the effects and the means of the gospel. Holiness is not just the result of the, go- of the gospel. But holiness is also an argument about the veracity of the gospel. If the gospel has power, if it has changed your life, then you must strive to live a holy life. Will we fail? Yes. And we'll get back up because we know of God's dedication to us. And we know that He loves us and accepts us. And then, but we strive and we get up to be a witness to the world. We tell others about our faith through our holy lives. The missionary that I talked about earlier demonstrated that God did something in her life by being kind loving gracious and trustworthy people are watching us and the biggest criticism against us maybe you've heard it yourself the most common criticism of christians is that we're hypocrites we say one thing but do another we say the bible is god's word but we don't treat it as god's word they accuse us of our unholy selves, which does not align to our holy book. This is because even, this, this becomes even more true when we start telling people about Jesus. When we preach the good news to others, we're basically welcoming their critical eye on, our, uh, on God's word based on our character. They look at us when we say we're Christian. They're going to evaluate and examine our lives. And we want this. We're asking them to consider Christ in view of how we relate to others and how we live out our lives. We're giving them permission to examine our confession of faith, our life, how we handle trials and difficulties. And we should want this. Because, look, our arguments will not convince people but our lives will imagine this you are living your life and somebody just comes to you randomly and tells you about this wonderful book and a wonderful god that changed her life you, you wouldn't immediately jump on the boat and believe you would first see has god really changed her life has god really done something in her life Hmm. And if you see God really changing her life, that this person is really living in holiness, hmm, you would say, maybe God has done something in her life. And that's the opportunity that we have. That is how we evangelize. Let's show the world that Christ lives through us, through our lives. We want people to see that we are unashamed for our Savior, Jesus Christ. But people are not just going to look at our boldness, at our arguments for Christ. They're going to see if we are greedy, if we struggle with self-pity, if we struggle with anger, with gluttony, with jealousy, with lust or disrespect. If God has changed our lives... Then we should want people to see how God has changed our lives in all areas, not just one. Our lives do need to be cleaned up. And yes, it's a process, and God accepts you how you are, and he loves you as you are. But we are moving forward. And yes, there are going to be setbacks, but we should always aim to move forward. Sometimes we'll fail, but we keep moving. We keep swimming. We just keep swimming, as Dorothy said from Finding Nemo. We desire to be purified because we want people to know about the purifier, about Jesus Christ himself. It's been often said, and I agree with this wholeheartedly, the church is a hospital for sinners not a hotel for saints this church is a hospital for sinners not a hotel for saints that is true but it's nuanced you you want the hospital to be effective a good hospital provides medicine and a remedy there needs to be a visible evidence there needs to be Evidence of a cure. We were plagued by sin, in our deathbeds, no hope. But Jesus, He is our antidote. He has changed our lives. Our gospel, yes, it is for sick sinners. But the gospel heals us and turns us into healed saints. And yes, we sometimes get played again, but. The gospel heals and for six sick sinners to to believe us that there is a cure they need to see that jesus has healed us they need to see people who have been changed they need to see a gospel that has healed people they need to see people who have been delivered from evil ways people who were once unholy but are now holy. The letter of 1 Peter is a great letter. I encourage you to read it. It's wonderful. I spent some time studying it, and we're going to spend some time next year looking at it. You'll see through it what a holy life really looks like. He talks about wives, unbelieving husbands, and he said that it's not through nagging to their husbands, about going to church that reveals the light of God. That's not how you show the light of God to an unbelieving spouse, but it's by respecting their, in this case, unbelieving husband. He also talks about modesty. Modesty during Peter's time was more about not dressing lavishly than not showing skin. He says that instead of focusing on external Adornment or lavish clothing not that they're bad but instead of focusing on that the wives and back then they would always put like pearls and bring a lot of attention to themselves the wives were to adorn themselves with gentleness and holiness that's what they were supposed to be known for they were being their true selves instead of allowing the world to tell them what beauty is Peter believed that unbelieving husbands would believe if they saw their wives live holy lives. So, let me talk a little bit more about modesty. Some of us have grown up with a distorted view on modesty. We all should be modest, male and female. But, Because of the expectations of acceptable clothing change from culture to culture, from century to century, we can't have one standard and apply it everywhere in regards to clothing. No one today is wearing the same robes that Jesus wore or the dresses that Mary wore in the first century. In fact, even recently, no man is wearing the suits of the 1700s, some of which included skirts in the 1700s. We are modest in every culture. We strive to be modest. But how modesty looks like in every culture is different. The main thing to remember with modesty is that we don't want to draw undue attention to ourselves by what we wear or how we act. Modesty doesn't doesn't mean that we don't care about how we dress. It's actually the opposite. We care about how we dress so much that we want to respect others by how we dress. If it's disrespectful to dress in a certain way in a particular culture, then don't dress that way. Don't dress in in a way that causes people to think that you're living lavishly, that you have a lot of money. Our dress should be considerate. Our dress should help others think about God. Our attire should not bring attention to ourselves, but it should allow for our actions and words to help others see the love of Christ. And it might be different for each person, but just pray and think, God, what should I wear today and see what you're willing to do. And this means that we are to be different from others. We think that people are more likely to believe the gospel if we think we're just like them if we do what is hip if we do what is trendy if we look broken or like struggling like others but the last thing we want to the last thing that we want to do is portray ourselves as holy or healthy and this my friends is false modesty if if god has healed us if he has changed us let's stop pretending to be sick If God has healed us, let's show the world that we were once lost, but now we're found. We were blind, but now we see. We're different. Christians are different. And we're different not just to be different, not to be annoying or loud, not just to be counterculture. I know people who just want to be counterculture for the sake of being counterculture. That's not us we're different because of our goal we're different because we're dedicated to God we have a goal that causes our deeds to be public we're different because we want the world to see God's goodness we are windows that display God's nature through us people can see God's glory god's holiness god's love don't be conformed don't stay in what is comfortable break from the futile vain ways of your past life put away slander how you talk envy and deceit leave drunkenness pornography and greed instead demonstrate self-control live with a good conscience Bless others with love. Walk in holiness and keep your conduct honorable. Living this way, living this way, comes with a cost. You can face harm for doing good. People will mock you, tell you that you haven't changed. You're the same old, same old. But show them the power of God. Tell them, Watch and see what God has done in my life. You don't necessarily have to disconnect from your past friends, and I actually discourage you from disconnecting unless it hinders you from your relationship from God. You might still go to their parties, but you don't party like they do. You don't go along with their wickedness, and they'll scoff at you. They'll be like, come on, we know you want to. And you could leave and disconnect from them if you're struggling or, or, or if your stay is just unproductive and, and you're just going to be there and it's not going to be great. So you could leave and that's fine too. Or you could also demonstrate, if, it, if the setting is correct, you could demonstrate that God has done something in your life. You could stay at the party. You don't do drugs. You don't get drunk. You, you know what is right. And if you do feel as the Spirit's leading you that, hey, if you have to say no to going to a bachelor party, say no. But say yes to going out to get food or hanging out. People will see you when you... When you refuse to do unethical business practices, like if you cheat on your taxes, even if everybody does it, they'll see that you're different. You, you want to keep a relationship. You want to show that you're holy. When you, when you abstain from mocking leaders, like everybody likes to bash on leaders, and I get it, but we show respect. When you abstain from cheating on tests, everybody will do whatever is necessary to do the least amount of work to get the good grades. But we are holy. We are people of integrity. We want there to be honesty, honesty between the teacher and the students. We don't want to deceive them. When you turn down drugs, come on, it gives you a high. But you're holy. You want to be able to control your actions. You want to be aware of your surroundings. You want to be loving and productive when you don't sleep around. You know, I interviewed several pastors for an ethics class that I had, and this is one of the areas that they kind of gave up on. They, they said that this is something that they felt that they've lost the, the, the lay people, the congregation, their assembly. Since basically everyone thinks that sex before marriage is acceptable or even good. I still believe the Bible, I still believe that sex is more than a physical activity. There is a real sense that sex bonds you with the person that really should only exist in marriage. You shouldn't have that type of bond that sex creates outside of marriage. And we see a lot of sadness when we see the bond being destroyed. Sex brings people together, but people break that bond because they're not married, and they they degrade sex into just a physical activity. Sex is beautiful, and as holy people, we don't just sleep around. And certainly when we fall, God loves us and welcomes us, and he he sees you not with condemnation, but with forgiveness and mercy and love. We, We do things as God intended. When you refuse to break the law, we respect and honor the laws. that's the way that we evangelize. When you won't join in endless gossip, we don't know the whole story. We shouldn't be tearing down people. We are holy. We build people up. When you miss the Sunday football game or another event to go to church, you make time for church, you are holy. Because you value gathering together. When you live a holy life, you will feel like an outsider. And you do have the option to bow down to the social pressures and lose your unique identity as a Christian. You might think, if I adapt to my surroundings, I won't feel like people are against me. If I cave on this issue, maybe, maybe gossiping is okay, I'll just join. People will stop ridiculing me at work or at school. If I act like them, they'll accept me and the Christian gospel. But that's a lie. And many of us believe that lie. We buy into the lie that Christianity will be more appealing the more it looks like the world. But the more we act like the world, the less Christian we become. The more we are like the world, the more we lose what makes us unique, what makes us different, what makes us holy and powerful. Being holy is central to the Christian calling. We need to accept that we're going to be strangers in this world, and that's good news because much of this world leads to destruction, sadness, and depression, and addiction. We are not of this world, and if people of this world don't like us, that's okay. We are reminded that we are not of this world. We, we are different. You want to know something interesting? I'm going to focus on my dad real quick in a good way. My dad has lived in the States for uh, since, the ni- since the 70s, so for over half of his life, he's been here in the States, and he... He still considers himself more of a Mexican than a, an American. Every morning when I used to live here, I would see him watch the president of Mexico, AMLO, give his daily press meetings. And then I, I would think I would think if people living in Mexico like my grandpa, who, who who wouldn't regularly watch the press meetings that AMLO would give. And I would just think. Here's my dad who has moved to the States and is more interested in Mexico and the politics of Mexico than a typical resident of Mexico. Anthropologists have observed this truth. Immigrants and refugees sometimes have a greater love for their national identity and a greater commitment to cultural preservation than those who remained in the homeland. People who leave their home country to be in another are usually more patriotic than those who reside in the culture. Why? Well, it's because when you leave everything, when you have everything stripped away, your culture, who you grew up to be, you cling to things that remind you of who you are. My dad had his culture and his way of life stripped away from him. So he did what he could to cling on things that reminded him of his home, of who he is, a a Mexican. And that's how it works with us. We are not in our home, things have been stripped away from us. The paradise of Eden is not present. We long, as an immigrant, as a refugee, we long for the day when we'll be back with the Lord. And every day we have this tension in the world and it reminds us that we are not of this world. But we go to the Bible. We go to prayer because we want that taste of heaven. The The foreignness of this world reminds us that this place is not our home. When we feel attacked, When we feel that we're different, it reminds us, this is not our kingdom. We belong to another kingdom. We are foreigners in this world, exiles in this world. And we will not be like this world, but we will be holy. As I close, I I want to remind you, we are not holy just so the world could see that we're holy. We are holy because... God has changed our lives, and we want to glorify him. God used a missionary in Asia, and God could use you. We must remember that our neighbors are watching. They know whether our walk matches our talk. Our extended extended family, friends, co-workers, and children can all see if your faith is real. They need to see that we're different that we're like our heavenly father and that our deeds are good. As we shine before others, some of them will actually begin to see the light. Let's all pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us that you are so dedicated to us. You are so holy. You are so loving. Your love knows no bounds, no end. And Lord, let us always have that mindset. Let us always be reminded that, yes, we fall, but you always welcome us and hold us tight. And that love that you have for us, it forgives us, it cleans us, it purifies us. And it changes us. Now we want to be dedicated to you. Let us show the love that you showed to us. Let us show the forgiveness that you showed us. Let us show the change that you have changed within us. Let, it, let the internal change become external. You are unique. There's no God like you. You are holy, holy, holy. Lord, we are weak individuals. We need your spirit. But let us also be holy. Let us show the light. Lord, let us plant a seed in the people around us and show that there is a hospital, there is a saving message, there is power. Lord, let them see and let them believe that you are just too good to not believe. In the name of Jesus, we all pray. Amen.